0: Welcome to my podcast. I'm Lisa Wagner, and I've been a professional astrologer since the mid-1980s. My specialty is helping you understand yourself through the karmic backstory in your natal chart. My website is karmicastrology.com, and you can find me on Instagram at karmicastrology. I jumped on the verification system when it rolled out, and I'm happy to say that not only were the current imposters removed within hours, but this is the longest stretch I've had without imposters. So, if you see a fake or get contacted by one, please let me know and I'll report it. My account does have the blue check mark next to it, and I do not solicit people for readings. Absolutely never. That's that's just a surefire sign that that person's a fake. Um, you know, besides the fact that I think it's icky. I have more requests for readings than I'll ever be able to satisfy. So I I have no incentive and I wouldn't even do it otherwise. So please, please, please don't ever think that, you know, when you get a DM from an account that looks like me and I say, Hey, I, I really like your energy. I'd like to do a reading for you. That's not me. So stay safe. Don't respond to the fakers, block them. Um, send me their name though. Give me a screenshot or something. Let me know exact their Cause I have to have their exact spelling of their username. And hopefully now that I've been verified, you won't get any more of those DMS. Okay. So today we're going to look at the karmic relationship between the sign and house of a planet in your natal chart. Now we're specifically talking about planetary placements today which are a little bit different than Ascendant, Midheaven nodes. So, you know, we're only talking about planets, not talking about Chiron. I'm not talking about anything else but planets today. And before we dig into today's topic, I want to update you on just a couple of things. First off, in case you didn't know, I have a book deal with Hay House to publish an astrology book. I am just so super excited about it. I'll be giving them the complete manuscript later this year. I have to finish writing it. And the um, so the current planning date for publication is November of 2024. Uh, more information about that to come. The other thing I want to share is the status of my email, The Cosmic Butterfly. I started it last summer and sent it out every Sunday, every week. Didn't miss a week once I started it. This year, not so much. I haven't decided on any particular schedule, so it's currently like once, maybe twice a month. Um, at the end of last year, I sent my subscribers a couple of gifts, and one of them was a PDF with all the e- emails from that year, um, so they could have them all together, you know, in a single file. And that way, too, if they joined, you know, a week, a month, two months, or whatever, after I started it, there was a way for them to to get them all because I don't—they're not saved anywhere. You can't go back and get them. Um, but I did add that to the sign up for it. So if you go to my website and you sign up for the cosmic butterfly, you get a PDF that has all the ones from last year. Okay. Now for today's topic. So when you're looking at the sign and house placement of a planet in your natal chart, the sign shows your karmic history with that planetary energy and the house is your current life focus. And that's the key to understanding that relationship. And that's that's at the core of what we're going to discuss today. I've touched on this in a couple other podcasts. Um, you know, I've discussed this, but it's just such a big thing. I think it bears repeating, you know, from a different perspective with different examples. So the sign shows the style that was developed over other lives. For example, the sign of your moon is not some random assignment. You chose the date, time, and location of your birth such that the nail chart lines up with your history so that moon is placed where it's supposed to be. And the house a planet is in shows the area of life you are giving focus in developing this part of yourself. It doesn't mean you only experience it in that area. It's about focus and lessons. So for example, you have emotional experiences in every part of your life. Even though the moon lands in a single particular house in your natal chart and the house that it lands in shows the particular area you are giving some focus to throughout your life in terms of developing emotionally, in terms of developing that lunar energy. So it serves as an emotional core for you, but it doesn't mean that you only experience emotions in that area. And and a quick note here, too, since we're going to be talking a lot about houses. I use equal house, and I encourage you to do so. Equal house is not the same as Placidus or whole sign. With an equal house chart, the ascendant is the first house cusp, and then all the other houses use the same degrees and minutes for their cusps. And I have three pin posts on Instagram explaining why I use it, how to get it, and what it looks like with a quick walkthrough of a chart. So if you want more information, you know, go there, go to my profile, the three posts pinned at the top. And I encourage you to use it at the very least, use it when you're learning and processing information that I share. Um, Because I'm always teaching you the complete system that I use and you'll get the most out of what I'm sharing with you by learning in context. And then after that, you know, you can make it your own and, and, you know, do astrology whatever way you want but you'll you'll get the most out of what I'm teaching you if you're using the system that I'm using. So looking at this relationship of sign to house for a planet in your natal chart, in particular, let's look at two ways that are sort of inverses of each other. So one way to look at this relationship is to see the sign as tools and talents you developed with the planet, and you're applying them to learn more in the area of life covered by the house that it's in and kind of the flip side of that is another way is to see the house activities as helping you to further develop and heal the karmic experience of the planet shown by the sign so if you're sound, if you're confused that's okay because i think examples always illustrate the point better so let's do let's let's do an example Remember, though, that this is like the tip of the iceberg to get you thinking because there are so many ways to view a placement that the clarity comes from seeing like the degree and the aspects and the context of the whole chart. Everything in the chart is repeated and seeing the overlaps is how I zero in on specific meaning. So these examples are going to be a little bit generic, but hopefully they will get you thinking um, in ways that will be helpful when you look at your own chart. So let's look at Venus and Aquarius in the eighth house. So let's assume you have this. Because uh, I'm talking to whoever has this. I'm talking right to you. Um, if you have this, you are using your abilities to value diversity. Because remember, Venus is its your value systems. It's how you give and receive love. It's human love. So you're using your abilities to value diversity, individuality, Embrace duality, you know, Aquarius is about seeing that opposites are the same, your love of surprise and innovation, to observe without judgment, to see things, to just observe things as they are, and to express the core of Aquarius, which is compassionate inclusion. So to love people that are different than you and to create a sense of inclusion so that people feel connected to you and part of something bigger than themselves through loving you. So you take all of that and use it to explore the eighth house of intimacy, vulnerability, choice, transformation, the occult, death and rebirth, realizing more of your value and worth through deep connections to others and helping others realize their value through loving you. Now your Aquarian history can be an asset in the eighth house because it can enable you to be a little bit more objective and be like less tempted to blame others because the eighth house has a lot to do with, with choice and all forms of being a victim and a victimizer. So it, that can help you to be more openly upset, accepting of others so they feel more able to be vulnerable with you. On the flip side, the eighth house shows you want to learn to be more intimate with those you love. The eight, you know, Venus in the eighth. So perhaps with that Aquarian history, perhaps you in the past became detached from those you loved. Maybe your relationships were about like doing what was best for the, the community, you know, the society, the culture you lived in, and they were not intimate experiences. Maybe they were like arranged marriages uh, or they were for some kind of, you know, keeping, you know, doing, doing something to promote the the, the greater good. Maybe you invested yourself so much in causes and community that you neglected intimacy. And in this life, you're exploring how to be more vulnerable and intimate. So this is why it's a two-way street. The sign shows you the experience you brought in with you to use in the house. And the house shows you what you're focusing on to help you more fully develop based on the sign. So focus on opportunity for growth and not whether it's supposed to be good or bad. I mean, I've been doing this for like over 40 years and after thousands of charts, I can tell you that we all have the tools and opportunity to live well. I mean, just speaking about my chart for a minute, it includes some difficult aspects and placements, the kind of stuff I see people proclaiming to be horrible and, you know, doom and gloom and all that scary stuff. And you know what? I have a great life. I've had challenges for sure, but I want to be clear, your belief that you're doomed by something in your chart will hurt you more deeply than the thing that you think is so horrible. And since we're on this, it's the same with transits. Like don't get sucked into thinking that you're screwed because of a transit. Be empowered, make choices. I promise you, if you blame astrology for something in your life, you will not see what you can do to make it better you may need to be more actively, you know, involved in like tending to your health or maybe you need to move to a different place, maybe you need to change jobs, maybe you need to leave a relationship, maybe you need to improve your sleeping habits. Like it doesn't mean that it's, you know, going to be easy, but you have the power to create change. Now, you know, I know it's tempting to blame something outside of your control because then you don't have to be responsible, right? I mean, hey, if it's if it's, you know, if it's not, I can't do anything about it, but here's a secret that I learned that really helped me. It's okay to admit you're not ready to do what you know you kind of need to do. You're allowed to not be ready. And here's why admitting that is so powerful. If you blame your problems on anything else, like astrology, you've lost your power and life won't get better. You have to step up and be the change. And people usually do that blaming thing because they're too scared or they just feel unable to do what they need to do. So they pretend on some level that they can't. They slide into victim, you know, role. They they look at their chart and they blame it on Pluto, you know. But when you're willing to admit that you're scared and just not ready to change, then you create a space to become ready. Then you can you can pray, you can ask your soul, you could tune into your intuition, whatever way you gain inner guidance, and ask for help in getting ready. And as you start to feel something and you shift, then you can ask to be able to see what you need to do and for the clarity about what you should do. So the more you blame your natal chart or transits, the more your life will suck. I mean, it's just, it's that simple because change can be hard. It can be hard to leave an abusive relationship. And some people on on the outside looking and think, well, that should be easy to leave an abusive relationship. If someone's hurting you to leave, and it's like, yeah, but the whole reason you got sucked in in the first place is complicated. So I never underestimate the difficulty someone has in doing something, even if it would be easy for me. So whether it's leaving a relationship moving to a new location, changing how you eat, any number of things that you may be resisting, just know that you can make the change. And the only way you'll get ready to make the change is if you're honest with yourself. And you know use astrology to help you to understand your nature, to accept yourself, and combine that then with the courage to make changes and engage in small courageous acts of change because the results are worth it. And you know, I, maybe I, it seems like I got off topic, but really coming back to it, the point here is is when you're looking at your chart and especially when you're looking at this karmic history and lessons and all of this, the more you can stop labeling anything in your chart as good or bad or bad or hopeless, the more you'll be able to fully see it, including the opportunity it's giving you, because that's why your soul chose that. Healing is always possible. So when you're looking at this house sign placement of a planet, remember to consider the planetary energy. So, like if you're looking at your moon, the karmic history is going to involve things like family and managing emotions. You know, reacting, caretaking, um, nurturing, food, all of that. Um, if it, if you're looking at Mars, you'd be looking at like ambition and going after what you want. So you're, you you want to take that planet and then look at the sign it's in. So, for example, let's say Moon in Gemini would include experiences around understanding emotions, communicating with family, whereas Mars in Gemini would be about understanding your ambitions, drive, passions, communicating what you want, getting fired up over words. So you want to take the planet and combine it with the sign. And then, so if you have that Mars in Gemini, and let's say it's in the 10th house, you may feel called to use your passion for words and communication for some form of advocacy. The 10th house is where you feel called to express your unique contribution to the world. You want to make a difference and be admirable, right? There are often issues with perfectionism with the 10th house because it's where you feel like you need to serve as an example. So your Mars and Gemini in the tenth may be seeking to put your energy because remember Mars is your physical energy into what you admire. You want your ambitions to be meaningful and contribute in some way. It's some kind of learning or understanding, right? Gemini also brings the power of the present. So part of your path is then learning how much you can accomplish when you harness the power of the present moment, when you focus on now today your energy surges you get so much more done you accomplish so much more you also may be needing to become more serious and focused about ambition because geminis the butterfly loves to go from just like a butterfly goes from flower to flower gemini goes from one thing to the next so you may have a karmic history where you got spun up with busy work you know, or where you talked a good game but didn't always follow through. And in this life, you're learning to find that balance between staying flexible and yet having a goal that is meaningful to you and focusing your energy to get it done. So, part of understanding your karmic history is asking yourself why having your Gemini, Mars, and the 10th would help you. You know, it's like reverse engineering. Why would I seek this kind of focus in this life? So when you're looking at the sign and house of a planet, here are some questions to ask yourself. So start off with what kinds of experience, talents, abilities that I bring in with me based on the sign of this planet. So looking at the planet and the sign, what would that show about your karmic history? If you have moon in Sagittarius, for example, you had a focus on being an explorer, being one with nature, You emotionally crave spiritual growth and most likely have some issues being a tad self-righteous. If you have Saturn in Cancer, you need to feel in control to feel safe. There may be boundary issues with family or being in caretaking roles. So write out a few sentences about the planet. Like what does the planet energy mean? And then write out a few sentences about the sign that it's in and then try to match them up. Try to see how... One expresses the other and start to get a feel for what kinds of experiences would create that. Then ask yourself, how can I use my experience to grow in the area of life shown by the house and make a few notes about the house and then try to match up that energy of the planet and sign with the house. Like, How would this help me? This is what I, you know, how would this help me in this area of my life? And then, you know, make some notes about that and then do the flip side. How could the activities of this house help me to heal and build on the experience of my past? So like that moon in Sag in the fifth house may give you the courage to believe in your ability for creative self-expression, could help you take risks. The fifth house also could be helping you to heal some of your Sag moon experiences or maybe you chose to be right over being happy. Maybe you became so judgmental of others that you lost sight of the value of your family or creating a joyful life. So there could be lessons in finding a higher truth beyond the black and white right or wrong mentality that served you in the past. There could be a way to experience justice over the ethics you claim you must, must, you know, must be adhered to. Like, I'm an honest person, but when my dad developed dementia, I learned to lie to him. I mean, I kept as close to the truth as possible, but as his memory and cognitive abilities declined, there were times where he could not understand the truth. And there were also times where he could, but the truth was unnecessarily cruel. In fact, here's one example when the time came to rehome his dog, we lied to him. My dad was a supreme animal lover. He's a very classic Sag moon. It was not possible for him to understand that he could no longer take care of Hank, his, his beagle. He also wasn't able to understand that he would soon need to move somewhere where he couldn't even have a dog with him. So my brothers and I took turns going over to his place multiple times a day to make sure Hank was walked, had food and water uh, while we worked out you know, the next, next steps. When the day came to rehome home Hank, two of my brothers went over to pick him up. They saw dad outside and told him that Hank, um, had a vet appointment and, you know, dad told him, you know, Hank was in inside the apartment. So one of my brothers stayed with dad and the other went in to get Hank. So my brother goes in this apartment and there's a pan of raw chicken burning on the stove, like spraying grease everywhere. Hank's water dish was kicked over. There was no food in the bowl, and it just wasn't, not a good scene. So my brother cleans everything up and takes Hank out for a walk before they, you know, are going to get in the car, and Hank got skunk smell all over him. He reeked. I mean, it it was not an easy day on many levels. Fortunately, they made the appointment. Uh, You know, they got to where they needed to go in time, and Hank, you know, ended up in this very loving home. He was bathed and welcomed with a lot of love and uh, lived out the rest of his life being adored. So Hank had a happy ending. Um, Something my dad would absolutely have wanted if he had been able to think clearly because my dad valued animals above everything. The next day, I went to visit dad and I had to explain why where Hank was. And so this is when I had to make up a big lie to him. My dad could never understand that he wasn't taking care of Hank. Um, one of the things though, people do with dementia is they they have a um, an awareness on some level that their memory isn't as sharp as it was. So they kind of try and cover it. So I said, well, you know, dad, I had, you know, we had to take Hank to the vague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know how um, he hadn't been eating as much lately, you know? And yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And, you know, he had that funny like spot on his eye, you know, like something was going on there. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that, you know? I said, well, dad, you know, it turns out he had cancer and the only shot he had here was he had to have surgery. He had to have this tumor removed and he didn't make it through the surgery. And dad was just crestfallen, you know, he was really sad. I mean, this is telling him that his dog died was, was a heartbreaking moment for me, but I felt absolutely right about doing it. So, you know, he's sad, but he, he, but he took it well. He, he's had many animals die in his life and, um, you know, he, he knows that death is a part of life. So it was sad, but for the next couple hours, I had to repeat the story about every 10 minutes because he would ask me where Hank was again. So we went through the story again and again and again, and I I stayed really close to the same story, as few words as possible, really trying to get it cemented into him. And um, it was time for me to go. So we went outside and he was, um, he was living in an independent living place at the time. So it was an apartment building um that had services in it and that allowed pets and uh so we get out the front and I pointed to my car and I said dad I'm just parked right over there um I said why don't you you know why don't you sit here and have a visit with this nice woman because when we walked out there was a woman smoking a cigarette that's where they were allowed to smoke um who was started talking to us so my dad was a smoker so I said won't you sit down and have a cigarette with this you know with this lovely lady He's like, well, okay. And so we did our hugs. And um, as I turned to walk away, I heard my dad say, Well, my dog died. And it's funny because it was it was you know, yes, it was sad for him to have to, you know, um, to have to hear this, but I felt so joyful because in that moment. As I'm listening to him tell the story, I'm slowly walking away so I can hear it. it he had fully owned it. He had no remorse because he knew Hank lived a good life. And he was on board with the surgery. And that's just that's just how life ends sometimes. And so I, I left there knowing I did the right thing. And later someone asked me if I felt bad, you know, lying to my dad. And I didn't, not for a second. I believed it was more loving and in alignment with my integrity to lie to my dad because the lie was something he could comprehend and accept. I didn't need to force him into facing a truth he couldn't have understood. And if a moment, if he had like this moment of lucidity where he did, it would have broken his heart. I mean, honesty is honorable and powerful. And for the most part, yes, I believe in being factually honest. Though for me, there's a higher good to be served that is beyond what is factual. So can you see, I know I took a long tangent here, but can you see how a Sagittarius placement could be healing from self-righteousness or an over-adherence to like right or wrong, where that causes them to miss out on love and compassion and joy. And and how the truth is sometimes painfully unnecessary when there's a greater truth to be served, you know. In this case, for me, it was the truth that both Dad and and Hank needed to be safe and cared for. They needed to be in different homes than they currently were. Neither was in uh, their their current living situation wasn't was no longer tenable for either of them. And affecting change in a way that was best for both is what mattered most to me and my brothers. So as you look at your chart, look at the energy of the planets and how you can use them to explore their houses as well as how to use the, the activities of the house to heal and build on the signs they land in. You know, it's funny, thinking about my dad, I, I don't want to end this podcast on a downer, So I'm going to share one more story that I think also kind of makes a valuable point. But hopefully this one's going to make you smile and it's shorter. So when someone has dementia, it's best to go along as much as possible with what they say and not debate a lot with them. You know, if they think today is in 1972, fine. So what? Don't, you know, just let it go. For the most part, I you know, I adhered to this. And fortunately, my dad always remembered me. Uh, There were core things that I could always come back to with him. Even when he forgot my name, even when he couldn't talk any longer, he he knew me and he trusted me. Some of the hardest moments, though, in those later years were when he would think I forgot about him. He would think I hadn't been to visit him in months, when it had just been like a few days. And this is when, this is like really probably the one time when I would challenge his memory. I would tell him, that I could prove I'd been there. And he would get this really curious look on his face, like he was actually wondering, how could I prove it? And I'd have him open his nightstand drawer and see the chocolate kisses inside. And I'd ask him, who else would give him so many kisses? And he'd smile and know that I'd brought them. And then I'd ask him, how could he have so many left if I brought them months ago? And I'd see the wheels turn and then this like flash of recognition and his whole face would light up and he'd hug me so hard knowing I didn't abandon him. Now, you know, he'd forget the conversation like five minutes later and we'd have it all over again, you know, the next time I would come and visit. And, you know, there were different times over the years where the repetition was really hard, but those particular conversations weren't because it meant getting my dad to remember he was loved. And even at the end, his drawer had Hershey Kisses. Now, I've shared this story many times for different reasons. And I'm sharing it today, I think, because I I want you to use astrology to understand yourself and others more compassionately. It's so tempting to look at your chart or someone else's seeking what's wrong with you or what's wrong with someone else or why are they doing this bad thing or to look at a transit and figure out how it's going to hurt you. But when you seek understanding without labels, you get to a much deeper understanding than you ever could otherwise. I mean, we're all shades of gray. Loving, amazing people sometimes do crappy things and sometimes there are horrible people that do kind things. For me, that, what separates the great people from the horrible ones is the willingness to be accountable for your actions and to grow. And I am deeply grateful for the times I've been given grace. So when you make understanding your goal first, you'll get to the goal. Once you more fully understand your chart, minus the labels, then you can decide what is change-worthy. And there's a difference between like knowing information about someone And understanding them, knowing information about yourself and understanding yourself, being factually honest and serving a higher truth. So, as you go deeper into understanding the history in your chart, you'll be more able to understand the painful behavior, both as a victim and a perpetrator, and heal it when you first simply desire to understand it. All right, it's a beautiful day here. And I wish the same for you.